This week on Bush's Breakaway, we have uh, the founder, Hart, of, of Puckpedia.com. He joins us and describes literally everything about the financial situation the NHL is going through. Agents, the cap, the TV deals, how players feel, how agents feel, how the owners feel. It's actually a really informational uh, little interview. So I hope you guys check that out. And also, Greg and I complain about everything else in the NHL. Of course, why wouldn't we? So let's get to the show, shall we? Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to another week of the Bush Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead of The Athletic, and I'm here with my co-host, Gregory, also of The Athletic. Gregory, say hello. No, not okay. today. You know what's funny? I was thinking about I'm taking your spot here where I kind of just uh, ramble at the beginning. Um, I, like, I prefer to call them riffs. If you call it a riff, it sounds a little bit more coherent. It's actually classier somehow to be riffed. Mm. Um, all right. So I was thinking how the NHL has mailed it in, right? And they haven't done anything. No discussions. Enjoyed their Thanksgiving, even though I'm assuming most of the headquarters is in Canada. So they already did Thanksgiving way back when. So we just mail it in, too. It's that easy, right? Everybody just mail it in. If you don't want to negotiate with your bosses or negotiate with your employees, you just walk away. You don't have to talk about anything. You just hopefully come back. That's it. How do you uh, – this is – we've done this rant like a million times. Actually, we did it about – and you're never going to believe this – baseball. Uh, a sport we end up talking about on this hockey podcast quite a lot. The owners agreed. At least things happen with baseball, so that's uh, why we talk about well, it. Well, it didn't for a while. The owners agreed for a while, uh, you know, to a deal, and then tried to go back on it. Like, I, what was the quote today, Greg? I saw you retweet it really quick. Oh, was... there was a line in an article that um, mo- a handful, if not most, of the NHL owners didn't read the memorandum memorandum of understanding when it was signed to allow bubble hockey to happen. And they just assume that Gary Bettman was working in their best interests. And now that they have actually read the memorandum of understanding, they don't like it, which is why they want to change it. Okay. But you, they, but uh, let, let me get this straight. So if I mm-hmm. went in, I want to think of this like a million examples, right? Okay. I went in and I, I, the, the house market is crazy right now. So sometimes you have yep. to buy a house sight unseen, just selling crazy. So I saw, saw a couple pictures and I was like, this house looks great. I signed right right away it's like oh i'm overpaying a little bit but at least i sign and the house is mine cool now i get to the house and there's little things i don't like like the piping needs to be redone and the bathroom needs to be reinstalled there wasn't a picture of that the floorboards creak i can't go back and renegotiate that with the bank or the person that sold it to me correct we yeah are- you signed it baby i signed it that's we understand the house is now mine so you signed it you asked the players to, to, to get the CBA signed early for that to be done. They signed. You signed. There was an agreement. And now you're just going to be like, oh, no. Actually, we're going to have a, our fourth lockout in 26 years. Like, that's really what we're going to be doing. So enjoy. It's, it, it's, it's impressive. Here's, here's the most impressive thing to me is 31 people or 31 conglomerates own these NHL teams, right? So that means... This one sports league was able to find the cheapest and or poorest 31 billionaire conglomerates in the world. And not just that, they found the dumbest too. 
<laughs> so you, they, the NHL owns the record book for dumb, cheap, and poor. All three things. I, I, it's it's incredible. That it's not this hard. It really isn't. You know how I know it isn't because other leagues are doing it. And while there are, <laughs> there are issues in other leagues, don't get me wrong. Major League Baseball is probably heading towards a work stoppage after the 2021 season, unless they get their shit together. Uh, the NFL is um, probably got to edit that part out, Ryan. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. Let me try that again. I'm just going to say, you're going to keep that one in there. It's going to say the NFL and it's go beep. And then they, they can make <laughs> their me, own assumptions. Let, let me, let me apologize and try that one again. The NFL is actively not working in the best interest of their players. Great I think job. That's the sanitized that, version that was of good. It something the nfl doesn't do clearly um <laughs> i don't know if you have to edit that one out you might have to edit that one out too i don't know unbelievable i don't beefs. know what i can say on my own podcast anymore it's almost like we signed a contract and we didn't read the fine print it's you gotta a- edit that one out too ryan just leave the laughing in and people uh dm us and try and figure out why i the will leave some in and beef some other um, some fun stuff right off the, the bat the, N- the nba kurt always at odds with their players, but they always get it done. These leagues get it done. The NHL is not even trying. And we know they're not even trying because the the crazy thing, Ryan, is they're not even trying. This goes back to a point we've talked about, I don't know, countless times on this podcast. This league is covered unlike any other professional league in North America. It's almost everyone that would cover this league that would put pressure or make the fans feel one way or the other. There's no pressure in the NHL. No one, Larry Brooks is the only guy out here being like, what the hell is everybody doing? It's just Larry. I follow enough writers of other teams, national writers, writers we've had on this show. Nobody is writing the article that Ken Rosenthal wrote once a day in the summer for baseball saying, what the hell is going on here? No one's challenging it. It's kind of Everyone crazy that is Larry's kind of just the accepting. guy. Larry is the guy. And uh, Larry's, Larry has gotten a lot of things wrong in his career, for sure. To his credit, he's the only writer that I've seen out here being like, why are we crying over this spilt milk? It's not even spilled. It's just in a glass you don't like. So here's a tweet from today. Uh, go talking about this is from McGran. It would probably cost each team at least $150 million to operate without fans for the season, factoring payroll, travel costs, team employees, league dues. It's believed some have told Bettman they would be financially better off not playing. Hey, sell the team. Sell the team. Greg, every every professional sports team, since they were purchased, have a a simple question, yes or no answer, or uh, rather, yes, whatever, you get this. Have they gone up in price or down in price? Oh, all of them have gone up tremendously? (laughs) The new, Ryan, the New York Mets, the worst run organization in sports over the last, I don't know, 15 years? Not the worst run, but close. Yeah, Close, right. The Ottawa Senators exist. I'm sorry. Always apologize to Eugene Melnick on this show. Uh, for him just being a cluster. But the Mets couldn't have been run worse. They even botched the sale of their own team the first time they tried. Still sold for north of $2.4 billion with a B. B as in bot mitzvah The, the Milwaukee dollars. Bucks before, you know, say Giannis isn't going to be there forever, or even if he is, who knows, shouldn't change the evaluation of what they were. I believe they sold for $800 million, where before that they sold for something like $300 million back, like, uh, I don't know, 15 years before that. That's right, quite you the don't have, You don't have to go much further than that. The Kansas City Royals, the most anonymous franchise in baseball, sold for a billion dollars. 
Okay. Not even a year ago. So what are we doing? If you can't pay, listen, it's a pandemic. Times are tough. Listen, I, but also I know that billionaires made a lot of money this pandemic, and supposedly the market's better than it ever is. Greg, I'm sure you could speak on that. Um, uh, it was bad. <laughs> oh, it was a tough day. Stock boys finished finished down 14 percent, by the way. Okay, well, anyway, but the market's doing supposedly well. I don't know anything clearly at this point, but I, these people are doing well. If you can't afford to pay your team, you're kind of like a public service a little bit. You're not. You're a private business, technically, but you people follow you. You know that. It's a luxury, a luxury to yeah, own a sports I, I team. It is that, not— That last word—yeah, Ryan, that last word you said, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I do. Go ahead. The last word you said is the most important. It's a luxury. Nobody gets into the business of sports to make money. That you, sports franchises aren't what these guys build their fortune with. This is a midlife crisis purchase that grows in wealth in terms of the, when you bought it will always be lower than when you sell it. You are always acquiring more wealth with this team, even though every year you are probably losing money. The best, most profitable sports teams, I, if I, if I, Perfect example: The Phillies. Uh, the Phillies are crying super poor, saying that they lost two billion again with a B dollars this right. year, which is just not true, <laughs> because never in the history of the Philadelphia Phillies have they made that much money in a single year. But in a good year, it's a team that makes about seventy-five to eighty million dollars. That's their profit, after all things considered. That's fine and good. That that is more money than you and I will ever see in our entire lives. But for these guys, that's a drop in the literal bucket. That money almost means nothing. They have so much of it that it like that extra 75 million, good for them. But in terms of the the cost analysis it takes to run a sports team, you're not doing much business here. They're, you're not turning a pretty par- a pretty profit. You're losing money more often than you're. But making you could money. sell the Phillies right now. I'm telling you for, for over close a to billion. three billion dollars. I'm sure over over a billion. I'm positive. You're, you're selling them for two. It's Philadelphia. It's a fairly new stadium. It's a pretty good team, all things considered, even if they have the, the King B, Bryce Harper. I like it's, King B. That's a good nickname. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of ways to go around uh, with more edits. Censor myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All these, all 31 teams in the NHL, if the owners decided they didn't need this team anymore, they'd all make a killing, especially considering what they bought in to get to the league when they bought in, which probably wasn't much. It, it, there are rich people in this world that would love to get into this exclusive circle, but it's oh, the, it's yeah, not baby. how the NHL operates. I, it just isn't. Even with the NHL, and it drives me mad. Even with the NHL being like you know one of those, or, or rather the fourth of the four major sports in the United States, you can make a case for soccer and some other things, but it's still an exclusive club. And if you have one of these teams, it's it's hard to get. It's rare to happen, and you can do it, but but. These other guys have to sell if they don't want to own the team. If you're crying poor, you have to sell. That's just what it is. Say what you want about James Dolan, and I can't believe how much we defend him on this podcast. He's never complained once about money. I don't know, you know, all of his money is tied up in concert venues. I'm sure James Dolan has gotten destroyed during the pandemic, but he has more money than God. Like, there's, there's, he's just in that, that situation where, like, he owns MSG. <laughs> like, you know, he's a big part of it. And it has the Knicks and the Rangers. He, he's definitely taken a big loss on the concert venues. No doubt about it. He can't even tour with his own band. Think about how profitable that is. Thank you. It's, Thank it's you. It's just, it's, it's a joke. It really, it really is a joke, Ryan. It really is. Because 
we're sitting here. It is November 30th, 2020. We're supposed to play January 1st, Greg. We're not going to. We already know we're not going to. We've known we're not going to for a very long time here. But it, it, we're playing. We're, we're, we're sitting here on the 30th of November. And even though there is only one professional sport going on right now, to my knowledge, well, I guess soccer is going on too. If you take soccer of the big four, mm-hmm. the, only the NFL is going on right now. There's no basketball. There's no baseball. There's no hockey. Yep. It's just football. And yet, every day when we're getting down talking sports with our friends, obviously there's an NFL storyline to talk about their in-season. There are more NBA storylines to talk about now, it seems, than ever before. Every, every day someone has a new question, a new twist, a new turn. With baseball, it's going to be the slowest offseason in the world. And guess what? There's still a new story every day to talk about when it comes to baseball. Will the Mets ever hire a GM? Is George Springer going to sign with the Blue Jays? Mike Miner signed today with the Royals. That's a thing that happened. People are talking about baseball constantly. It's the fact that hockey doesn't even want to be a part of the conversation. There is nothing to talk about because they aren't talking. We can't. We have to do two podcasts a week. We can't talk to you about hypothetical division alignments because none exist. We can't talk to you about potential start dates because one doesn't exist. We can't talk to you about uh, – <laughs> last week I went on a big rant about restricted free agents. One or two of them signed finally. Cool. Must be nice. We'll talk to There's Buck still PD Barzal about that. out there. Yep. There's still Sorelli out there who's literally – how the NHL didn't make – a bigger deal or bigger story out of Anthony Sorelli's agent being like, there has been no progress. We're not talking. Everything that was said back in the beginning of the offseason still rings true today for my client, Anthony Sorelli. And do you know what the NHL collectively did? They shrugged their shoulders and said, well, I assume they'll get it done. Not a single person wanted to investigate that point further. He's one of the best and youngest two-way centers this league has to offer. He is Clearly at an impasse when it comes to his next contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the entire league is just going, well, that's a shame. Anyway, what's for dinner? That's insane. What are we doing? Why is it Why is it that this league, for whatever fucking reason, doesn't want to participate in American culture? Or is, it, is, it, because of, is it because this league is too Canadian and everyone's goddamn polite? I don't know. I, I, I'm on... I, so there's a website you may have heard of, reddit.com. It's pretty big. What? Yeah. Unbelievable. So I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a frequent Redditor. Started the, we actually started this podcast on Reddit. Shout out to Reddit. Um, Unbelievable. I am on the hockey subreddit right now. It has over a million subscribers. You know, not, not gigantic, but a million subscribers. That's nice. Top of the month. What do you think the top story is of the last 30 days? Reverse retro jerseys? No, it's Alex Trebek announcing the Ottawa's number three pick because he passed away. Rest in peace, Trebek, the GOAT. After that, it's like absolutely nothing. The other this other day, there was a lake freeze near me. Look at this picture. The Sharks' new jerseys, a concept I drew up when I was 12 years old. Like, I, I there's nothing. There's a, there's a couple pictures of lakes. Nothing. My man, if I go to the NBA Reddit and I click top of this month, I can't even – I can't even – it's everything. Uh, it's, there's so much here. Golden State, uh, obviously, Clay Thompson. Uh, there's, there, there's a, literally a top story about the Memphis Sioux naming their new giraffe, Giraffe. That's incredible. LeBron James stuff. There's like a million stories. There's like a million, the Russell Westbrook wanting out of Houston. The Phoenix Suns are acquiring Chris Paul. 
The Sixers are, are trading Al Horford. We what what happened? I, I, Clutterbuck obviously ended his well, not obviously, but uh, not on purpose, but due to his eye injury, it ended his career. And like that's been like the biggest story of this last month. Like I can't. Clut- think- Clutterbuck and Sergachev were both last week. Yeah. And then that's it though. Like that's like the, the biggest like the biggest stories of this whole month. There's been nothing. It's it just drives me mad. It part of it. I, I don't know who's at – it's like a pie chart, and I don't know who gets the biggest percentage here. But it feels like the NHL actively doesn't want to grow itself. And it, we've talked about this. We did a whole I, show on it last week. It's, yeah. your, it's your biggest thing, growing the culture or growing the, the, the talkosphere that is the NHL. It just seems like nobody has an interest. There, like Again, this summer when baseball was at its lowest – Ken Rosenthal was pointing out a story a day talking about how baseball was screwing this up. We don't have a hockey version of Ken Rosenthal. No one's putting NHL asses to the fire. Nobody is out there. The the McGrand piece we talked about today, he's not even challenging the NHL. He's just kind of saying everything that is happening and it's like, and it's kind of shrugging his shoulders about it like there's nothing we can do. I, the NHL actively doesn't want to be bigger. This league, this league seemingly wants to stay inside this little box. And there are, sure, a lot of us like this little box. This little box is great. And I, I don't need other people to like my sport. I'm not that kind of person. I personally don't care. Whatever you have to do to get through the day, God bless you. I hope you're able to do it. As long as it's not damaging to another human being, you're doing fine, sweetie. I'm here to support you. Whatever you need from me, go for it. But it's like the NHL itself. They're crying foul about the league, each team possibly losing $150 million. And instead of asking themselves, what could we be doing different for when we are able to get up and running again, that we are never in this problem because we have expanded our interests outside of the box and we are now bringing in new revenue streams. What can we do to better protect ourselves for the future? Instead, the NHL is just like, this sucks. I don't want to pay the bill. Send it back to the chef. Like it's, it's just, it's batshit. I don't get it. I will never understand it. And I don't know if that's because you and I don't come from a hockey background. You and I were brought up on other sports. We were. You and I, as much as we love the Rangers, this isn't my first true love. I don't think this is your first true love in the sporting world. Oh, it is. So we're maybe, I would say the Rangers maybe, are my first true love by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Race- your, your first. Oh, my first true love, like in my life. Your first sports love. I know the Rangers were not your number one. It was Yankees, Yankees, Rangers when I was a kid. That was the one and two. Yankees for sure. Yeah. You didn't, but you didn't get bring. We weren't brought up in hockey households. No, I was brought up in a baseball Yankee household, hardcore. And my dad was a Yankee fan. Now you, now you figured out why I'm not a Yankee fan anymore. Everybody, there you go. (laughs) We figured out. Why you're a big Mets fan? Because John Franco. Yeah, crossed that bridge too. He had a chance. Could have been a Mets fan. Dude, I just don't know. I don't know if it's just because we have non-traditional hockey paths. I don't know if it's because of our, our our chosen career fields. I don't know if it's because of this podcast and what you and I need to do on a weekly basis to try to get new people to listen to this dumb show. You know what I was thinking but, about? Like, how do I convince somebody to listen to our show this week? I, I, I know there's some people out there that listen to us every week and appreciate and love you so much and really – Means that means the world to Greg and I, but like, if I was like, okay, I have to pitch somebody our show this week. Okay, there's been no news in over a month. They might cancel the season. They won't talk to each other. 
And the biggest Ranger news, legitimately the biggest Ranger news, is that the reverse retro, from what I could tell, only has like four names on it, and you can't get Adam Fox or anybody else, like other than Kako Lafreniere. The, the lettering Panarin also, and, the lettering and the numbers look like literal duct tape. Yeah, it's kind of strange. And then there's like a there's like a couple different versions. I didn't look too deep, but there's like different layers of them. So it's like uh, the highest version might actually be a real jersey, but then other ones look like they're like kind of iron on. I don't know. Just I wasn't a huge fan. I was kind of disappointed, but that's okay. But that's the biggest story I could tell. Like, I don't know what else is there to talk about. Like, we could do lineups for the millionth yeah. time. We're not doing not that. Not do it. Can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, like New York Ranger fifth-round draft pick Brett Berard got named to the preliminary roster for a U.S. World Junior Championship team. Can't even talk about that because I'm sitting here not convinced that tournament's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, there's I – don't, I don't even know what we would say about him. There's really, like – even Here's like, what we'd say, Ryan. Cool. Good, good for anyway. him. Good for yeah. him. Dope. Let me know if he makes the team. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, there's no news whatsoever. Nothing. Not nothing. So, with that being said, uh, let's do like three five-star questions. Let's do those real quick and then get to our guest, Puckpedia. We'll talk about the entire offseason, some contracts, and I have some agent questions because agent drama for me is super fun for some reason. Uh, all right. Uh, this is from DC Ranger Fan. What does David Quinn's job security look like? Oh, by the way, I guess I should say this every single week I do this. If you want to leave a five-star review, leave a five-star review on iTunes. And we'll read the question on the show, five-star questions. DC Ranger fan. What does David Quinn's job security look like for the season? Or is it a given he'll have a free pass when the bad tr- contracts come off the books next year? Assuming this is not a playoff team competing for a lower uh, PO seeds. Or I guess the play. Well, we call them PO spots. Wow, that's weird. P.O. seeds and even making the playoffs, he obviously is safe. Is it fair to assume he'll be judged on progression of the youth and not finishing in the basement? I think Quinn's I think pretty good this year, no matter what happens, to be honest. I don't I don't think <laughs> there's any outcome that will impact David Quinn's job title. I, I would I would have said that if it was going to be a normal 82-game season, but especially if this is going to be some truncated, shortened COVID season. Everyone will just, even if he goes O for the season, they'll crumple it up, throw it out, and just call it an anomaly because of coronavirus. Yeah, Quinn's going to so get a pass no matter what happens yeah, there. There's nothing David Quinn can do this year, good or bad, that will impact his job status heading into whenever the 2021 season wants to start. He would have to do something like totally egregious that would get you fired from most jobs. There's nothing uh, in his hockey title job that can get yeah, him fired. It would have to be, it would have to be a off-the-ice situation correct or like he ha- he would have to take off his skate and practice and stab a player he'd have to go spree well on someone except the opposite because he's the coach exactly Roselle seven says which numbers uh which numbers of the past two decades which ranger numbers of the past two decades would you retire out of pure love for the player i believe mine would be jesper fast uh could i retire 15 10 or glass well, maybe which jesper fast number are we retiring he's worn four <laughs> all four um yeah, I don't know. Retired numbers are tough. With with the Rangers, it's it's only Hank in my mind from this era that I think is truly worthy of being retired. I could see the team retiring one of, if not both, of Girardi and Stahl just because they were here forever and they were on some great teams. And if you look at the retired numbers in the Raptors for the New York Rangers, they like honoring players from great teams. Um me personally, if you told if you put a gun in my head and said there was one number you have to retire, I'd probably put Yager up there. I think. 
I think Yager's a good one. There's been like a lot of like I guess fan favorites. Like Zuccarello is just such an I don't know. I wouldn't retire Zook's number. Zook Zook is a guy I look at him a lot like I look at Edgardo Alfonso. I'm not I'm never gonna ask the Mets to put thirteen up on the wall, but I think the organization needs to do everything they can to honor that guy. Like I need I would need Zuccarello and whatever the Mets Hall of Fame equivalent is of for the New York Rangers. I don't I don't need thirty six retired. But I would like Zuccarello honored in some way, shape, or form. I totally agree. All right. Um, last question here. DC from Long Island. I recently heard there's going to be a Space Jam 2 coming out next summer. If the NHL had a Space Jam effect, which five NHL superstars do you think would have their traits stolen by aliens? And which current retired players would have to save, uh, would have to team up with the Looney Tunes to save them from certain doom? Well, Henrik, Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Ovechkin, right? Probably. That sounds like the correct five. Unless you have to go, well, is it goalie, two defensemen, three forwards? I would just say that. I just think those are like the most notable names for Space Jam. Yeah. What old players would come? I mean, Yager's still going. Yeah. Yager feels like that. Yager's going to be the answer to everything for me coming up. Um, (laughs) Yager Yager feels like a guy that from the quote-unquote old era and Yager just has personality, which this league so desperately needs. Gretzky uh, would probably be of. there. I'm sure Mark Messier would come out. It would be all the all the all the people you would expect. Yeah, it's really. I don't think it's really a surprise. That if they, I'm sure there's like a lot funner answer to this, but I that would if they actually made the movie, that's what would happen for sure. All right, let's get to our uh, our, our guest today, Puckpedia. Uh, do they have a name? <laughs> uh, Hart. H a r t. Hart. Okay, uh, so uh, finishing third in the heart. Well, coming right up. I don't think that was bad. Transition to an ad. Here we go. Hey, we're back with the founder of Puckpedia.com. For all your Puckpedia needs, we have Hart with us. Hart, say hello. Hello. Nice, got him. All right, now that we've gotten the hello out of the way, we have a lot of <laughs> questions, or at least I do, about Puckpedia.com. But let's give a little bit of a background for the listeners at home. What exactly is Puckpedia, and what does it provide to those who type in Puckpedia.com into their browser? It's the ultimate source for hockey fans and professionals. So everything you want to find that you need to, you want, uh, for hockey, find in one place. It's got salary cap information, basic advanced stats, uh, agent information showing all the uh, clients that each agent has and the ranking the agents by dollars, um, a player dashboard to sort and filter by any kind of criteria for contracts or stats on players. And it also has a MyPuckPedia GM mode where you can basically have your own version of a salary cap site and and make whatever trades and transactions you want. So uh, there's a lot there, as well as latest news, information, injury updates. So if you're a fan of a team or all teams, that's probably where you should go to start your day or at least waste time during work every day. I have a follow-up. You said there's a news section, but that happens to probably be empty because nothing is happening. How do you fill that when nothing happens for a month in the NHL? Well, news, I guess, is, uh, you know, you <laughs> can define that how you want. It's, uh, it's got stuff in there. Where, I'm just having you know, fun the, because we do this podcast I, twice a week and there's nothing going on. Yeah, a number nine defenseman getting assigned to uh, the second Swedish league shows up there and uh, things like that. Okay, very fun. I actually have a lot of questions about the agent leaderboard because I find this fascinating. Um, is there, I, I see that there's many different agents here. You have the top 10 and Pat Brisson ranks them all from CAA sports. Pat Brisson, uh, he is the agent of seemingly a lot of talented players, uh, 
Patrick Kane to name one, Sidney Crosby, maybe you've heard of him, but also Tony D'Angelo. Have you noticed uh, certain connections when it comes to agents and signing with teams? So, for example, we host the Rangers podcast, and Pat Brisson got Tony D'Angelo signed this offseason, but he also got Jack Johnson signed by the New York Rangers. Do you think there's any correlation with that? Do you notice any trends um, from, from doing all these studies and putting it up on Puckpedia? There's definitely trends. I mean, that's the thing. We often, as fans, think of it as kind of like a video game where there's no human element, but these these are humans, and that plays into it. Um, I I definitely notice if there's some agents that had like a bad experience with the GM or vice versa, then you'll see like that agent doesn't have many clients um, with that team after a while. But there's certainly those connections. So Pat Brisson, he's actually he kind of he grew up uh, with two best friends. One was Luke Robitaille, and one was Mark Bergevin. So mm. you certainly see um, over time, there's definitely some deals with Montreal and the Kings. And and you also just see, yeah, there's some relationships, uh, specifically if there's a couple players with the team um, and then there's like a undraft, like a college free agent or a, a European free agent. You'll kind of see, I, I, that's where I really noticed some trends, like that player uh, might go sign with the team where that same agent has a few players, whether that's because he has a good relationship or maybe the agent helped him uh, kind of make, make some friendships with those couple guys. So he's, there's some comfort level. So I definitely noticed it there. Um, but yeah, you definitely can see some trends like that. For sure. I, uh, I got, I, I, we've been seeing the trend in other sports. I don't know if this will ever happen in hockey. I, I, it's hard to tell, but we've seen the Brody Van Wagenens, the Leon Rose, those types who have left the agency ranks to run their own team. Can you ever see that happening in the NHL? And why is it Alan Walsh? <laughs> no, it's already happened. I mean, Bill Zito in Florida is a former agent. Um, Kyle Dubas in Toronto started, uh, well, early part of his career was an agent. So it's definitely happened. Wayne Gretzky's former agent used, at one point was the GM of the Coyotes. So it's happened. Um, I think really, though, it's like, Hockey, as we know, hockey is behind other sports with evolving. And so for the longest time, hockey, to be a GM, you had to have played hockey in the NHL. Um, and that's where a lot of other sports started. Over time, you see football, basketball, baseball. It's just like smart people with a variety of backgrounds, both in the top job and uh, across the front office. And so whether you have a, a GM uh, that played in the NHL or not, like, you're seeing more of a trend that the front offices in the NHL have people of various backgrounds. Um, and yeah, I think it's natural that some agents will be GMs, but I, I think ultimately it's just having like the smartest, best people to be GMs, which would be kind of a change for the NHL to, to some extent. And also like, if you think about it, to be a GM of a hockey team, it's really like a management job. So when they take a guy that was a really good player or was a really good scout, for example, I guess it's possible that he could also be a really good manager, but that would be pretty rare. Like, you know, cause general manager, that the word manager actually means something and it's managing a, a huge organization of people. And like that skill set isn't necessarily confined with just former players. Again, it could be in that player in a former player, but I'm sure there's a lot of other people um, that have that skill set. And, and I think these owners with a lot of money on the line, you're seeing a, it's really slow to change, but you're seeing a little bit more of, they're deciding not to just fish in that small pond of former players, but actually expand it to the most qualified person, which would be uh, kind of uh, a unique approach in hockey. I'm looking at your uh, agents list. And as we're going through a uh, number 49 is drew Dougherty by himself. He signed himself for $88 million and he's uh, in the top 50 of agents in the NHL. So good for him. 
there's a, there's a lot of different like smaller organizations too, like Top Shelf Sports. They they uh, John John Thornton owns uh, Logan Couture and Joe Thornton himself. So I'm assuming they're uh, not it's almost. His brother. It's his brother. Yeah, assuming it's related. Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. it's sort of like a tight knit good old boys community where it seemingly um, stays that way. Have you noticed any trends of of sort of the new analytic minds coming into the agencies over the last couple of years? Or I've kind of just throwing shit at the wall here. <laughs> well, just on the players representing themselves, there's Nick Backstrom is also one of them too. He's a, a big contract. Um, I, I, I think you're seeing with the bigger agencies, like there's a huge divide between the big agencies and the small agencies. Like if you go on the agent leaderboard and you just click the tab um, for the agency leaderboard instead of agents, you can see there's a few agencies that kind of represent most of the players in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And those big ones, they they do have all kinds of people like they've got analytics people they've got you know sports science they've got massive training facilities with all kinds of uh special things they've got people to help you manage your money you know probably people to help you manage your girlfriend like all kinds of things like that right and so there's a big divide between what they offer and then the smaller agencies um you know typically it's just you know like one or two agents with maybe a couple support staff and they have to be a, a bit of a jack of all trades and they can't necessarily specialize as much that there's a trade-off though, right? The more people you have with their hands in it, the less maybe personal connection that the, the player has. So I know that there's players that really enjoy being with a, a smaller agency where, you know, that same guy that they've known since they were 13 hanging around the rink has represented them uh, into the early thirties. And so while he may not be the best at analytics or the best at one specific thing, just that trust and relationship is, is far more valuable than that. And maybe he's quite good at a bunch of things and you don't kind of lose that, uh, that when you hand it over to a bunch of different people working on a player. So you're certainly seeing though, like I mentioned, the big agencies, um, them having more analytics people, but even the small agencies, I know that they contract for some analytic services, whether it's people or, or like just data, there's a lot of like, uh, video services that they'll, they'll have, or they can easily clip all the, um, all the video highlights from their player or get some analytical reports. And there's uh, a lot of people that love hockey and want to work in it that will work for either free or really low pay to pr- provide some analytical information to agents or teams or anyone that wants it. Art, this, this one, not necessarily directly about your site, but us talking about players representing themselves have, has me thinking about it at the moment. In your honest opinion, not to put you on the spot, but put <laughs> you on the spot. At what point do we move past weird and it starts getting a little fishy that Anthony Duclair is still unsigned. Uh, interesting question. There, there is a lot of free agents still, right? So it's not just him. Yeah, it's, like, it's not just like Mike Hoffman yeah. for some reason yeah. is still a free agent. And a like, similar guy to Duclair, uh, who was a restricted free agent and couldn't agree to a, a, a contract. Couldn't agree to a contract before the qualifying deadline, so the team didn't qualify him uh, because they didn't want to risk arbitration. Is Athanasio, who who does have an agent, uh, Darren Ferris. So I don't know if it's specifically uh, Duclair. I mean, of course, you hear that it's maybe difficult, but I, I think the biggest issue though with the player representing themselves is the having the emotions as part of it, um, whereas an agent can be a little bit removed from it. So I just think in general, it, it is probably a little bit harder to get a contract if you're representing yourself, unless you're a, a Dowdy or a Backstrom or, or someone that, you know, you kind of, you, you have the relationship with the GM and you know, you're going to get paid whether from them or someone else, but you know, it, it's not just 
representing yourselves, like I've heard from some of these smaller agents as well with, with smaller um, agencies, like some of it is relationships with GMs. And if a GM feels like uh, not helping you or not working something out with you may not impact them, they may not return your call. So like if there's a, let's just say there's like a 14th kind of forward guy, if he's with a big agency uh, with a big agent, he that agent might be more likely to get him a job because that the GM doesn't want to sort of piss him off or, or kind of maybe wants to sort of owe the agent a little bit where the smaller agent maybe doesn't have that to offer. Um, and it's harder to get the call return, which really, you know, obviously that doesn't seem fair. Right. But I think there's something to it. That's just so, life, man. Yeah. So now he's representing himself. And, you know, if, if he can't work out something with the team that he's maybe talking to get, get to the right money, or he gets like an insulting offer from a team, the GM knows, well, that's just one guy that's going to, be pissed off and it might have an impact it's not like this agent's whole book of business that might uh you know might come back to haunt me so uh, yeah I, I, there's probably something to it but i don't know if it's necessarily like a specific anthony declare thing let's uh move on to the latest signing and actual news that happened last week oh <laughs> uh, sergachev signed for three years 14 million uh around 14 million with the Tampa Bay Lightning championship caliber team. Of course, obviously, again, I reacted with what's in the water in Tampa. They get all these guys to sign cheap. But then I had a couple people yell at me and say it's actually a pretty reasonable deal. How did you feel about the signing? Yeah, uh, I I would say I kind of felt both. So it is reasonable if you look at McAvoy and Wierenski. Um, they were 4.9 and 5, so kind of right there. And they played more minutes than Sergeyev. So when you look at it from that standpoint, um, that makes sense. But those contracts were a year old, and Sergachev, you know, is kind of the top restricted free agent out there. Um, and so you could have seen with another another team, um, you know, the player and the agent really trying to exert their leverage and extract more money. So if it wasn't Tampa, I, I think it'd be fair to say, you know, maybe Sergachev got on a bridge deal, got something in the in the low fives, and but with Tampa. There's no premium being paid. There's a there's fair market or maybe a bit less, and you factor in the no state tax. And so, you know, I think it's it's certainly not surprising that he signed for four point eight. I would have said, you know, somewhere between four point eight and five point one or two. And and I think yeah, with Tampa, you always get to sort of the low end of that range. So not unreasonable, but not but certainly uh, not way below market or anything. I, I how do you, Greg? I'm gonna cut uh, you off for quick. One second. Sorry. Oh, do it. <laughs> Sorry. Do it. Um, so with Sergachev in general, and and with Tampa Bay, I keep seeing, and maybe you could clear this up because you do have a gigantic ask capologist button. So I'm asking you. <laughs> does the tax thing really make that much of a difference with players? Like, do yes. they? Do they? Okay, they actually. Because I've I've heard this many different ways. Like, there's you know certain ways you can claim some things, and they have to pay taxes in Canada or a certain amount of games away. They don't have to actually pay it. Like, what what am I missing here? Like. What it, it actually does save a lot of money for these players, et cetera. That's it. That's why they, places like Florida, places like uh, Texas can have an advantage in these signings. Yeah, so it's not as simple as saying lower tax state, so there's less taxes. It's not that simple because like you previously mentioned Alan Walsh. I know he's tweeted about this before. There are some tax planning things that these players can do with where their residence is. Some of that though, it does save them tax, but it puts money kind of away that they can't touch for a while. And maybe for some of these guys, that's actually a good thing, but you know, so, so the tax uh, differences is maybe somewhat overblown because there are things that players can do. But on the other hand, it is still a factor because it is, if you're in Florida, you don't have to do any of the tax planning. You can just 
pay like not have state tax, pay less taxes, and you get your money. Versus if you play in Montreal, you know, again, you can do a bunch of tax planning things that you're gonna pay accountants more or maybe a lawyer more and some of it to save on those taxes you're gonna have to put the money aside for a while so that you know it's a hassle and you, in the end you do end up paying a bit more taxes so i do know it's definitely um, a factor I, I can give one example i know a player uh, they were asked if they would be interested in waiving their no trade clause um, and it was to go to a, a place with much lower taxes and while they weren't necessarily like that into the team um, they did some quick math and were like yes we will definitely wave to go there it's it, it ended up like over the next three or four years um I, the agent and i were kind of doing some of the math it was like four or five hundred grand more cash in their pocket so yeah it could definitely make a big difference especially when you're comparing like one of these high uh tax states like california or in canada like in bc or or quebec to like uh nevada or florida or tennessee yeah, it definitely is a factor for players one of the modes i like playing with the most on Puckpedia is the my GM stuff because like everybody else on the internet, I think I am a genius. Uh, what are some of, I, I think you have access to most of the trades. Which ones stand out to you as ridiculous and which ones to you stand out as actually there might be something there. <laughs> well, uh, I did, when we first launched it, I did spend more time kind of cruising through and looking at some of the trades, but I would say the most ridiculous are every trade involving Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby or Getty Malkin, um, because those guys aren't getting traded. And, and if someone is going to use the the site to make a trade like that, they're certainly not trying to make a, a fair value or trade. So basically those guys, any of the superstars, there's always really silly kind of funny trades, or there's the trades where you see like the super toxic contract getting traded for like a real asset, like seeing Louis Erickson traded for, for a, a second round pick or something where, where, you know, in reality, um, a guy like that, you'd have to attach a pick to move him. Those would be the most ridiculous. I'd say, you know, maybe not the trades, but looking at the signings um, I, for a while, I was actually trying to like uh, take some of the signings that people did and sort of average them out and then compare them to the real signings. And actually there was, they were quite realistic, especially on like restricted free agents, um, but even some of the unrestricted free agents, the kind of crowdsourcing from from fans of the contract value, it actually proved to be pretty close. Like obviously there's some outliers, but if you had enough uh, people on the site signing a player to a contract, you'd kind of weed out some of the outliers and, and it actually was pretty close. So it shows that, you know, to some extent, at least the uh, a big enough sample, the, the fans uh, have a good sense of what players should sign for. But then there's always, you know, like a, a, a giant contract that makes everyone scratch their head, which blows that out of the water. What was, or giving any kind of money to Jack Johnson. Yeah, no, no, that makes yeah. total sense. I was gonna, that was my follow-up was, uh, what was the contract this offseason, even though it seems like it was seven months ago at this point, that kind of was a head-scratcher for you other than Jack Johnson? Because uh, that's obvious. Oh, those are good questions. Yeah, Jack Johnson was one. Yeah, um, we know. You know, th this year, you know, surprisingly, like this year, the contracts were just so much more reasonable than what we've seen before. Um, yeah, I mean, I really can't think of any. I guess um, some of the defensemen that moved, uh, like from from Vancouver to Calgary, um, Stetcher, maybe some of those guys were a little bit more, but. The shocking part this year was just the the lack of unreasonable contracts. I'd say is is what really stands out. It's probably not a a great answer, but yeah, just most years there's some where the contract signs right away, and I'll I'll look um, what what pages are getting a lot of traffic, and the buyout calculator for that 
for that player is is super popular and it, i'm like holy smokes the contract was signed like five minutes ago how are people already trying to buy it out um i guess maybe the one that stands out the couple of them now that i think about it a bit more um i mentioned chris tanev i think with calgary but a couple of the goalies like matt murray in ottawa that was a lot of money um especially i know he's got the playoff performance but the uh the the stats the last couple of years haven't been great and even like a Breen Holtby in Vancouver, again, he's got a, a resume, but the last couple of years haven't been pretty. So those were a couple. Um, and I guess maybe also Justin Schultz in Washington seemed a little a little high as well. Is there a contract that comes to your mind? The Athletic writes all these articles. Uh, well, period. They write a lot of articles. But on, to- <laughs> on top of that, there's a lot of articles, not only from The Athletic, but from other people that are like, these are the worst contracts in the league. Do you have one that just like sticks out right to you? Yeah, all those contracts that were signed, was it 2016? The, those six-year deals for like $6 million. So there was Lucic, there yeah. was Erickson, um, Nelson? Ocposo, yeah, Andrew Ladd. Yeah, like it was like everyone, if you had a pulse, you had to get signed for about $6 million for six or seven years. Yeah, that, that whole crop of contracts was just terrible. And they're just albatrosses on those teams uh, that have them or uh, or trying to get rid of them. So. That that whole batch, I think, is just atrocious. Speaking of uh, atrocious, other than Jack Johnson, <laughs> uh, on the Rangers, is there a contract you currently feel like is a bad contract? Hmm. Before I'm, you answer, just know that I'm going to fight you if you say Truba. Uh, yeah, I will probably agree with you a little bit, but that's I was kind of baiting you. Yeah. Well, Brent, Brendan Smith is it's old now, right? Yeah, he's last year, but and, obviously and, that's and that's he's no like a game. jack of all trades, dude. They play him on forward. They have him coach. Like he he was Kako's dad for like a whole season. Like it <laughs> it, it was worth it. Um, you know, like you you look at like the the higher ones like Panarin and Kreider, and they're living up to it now for sure. You just wonder as they get into their mid thirties, like what are those deals going to look like? But uh, certainly for now, like those are fine. The Kreider um, one worries me a lot, especially towards the end. Yeah, but I wouldn't say if if it was like you, they had one or two years left on those deals, it'd be perfectly fine. It's just yeah, what's going to happen down the road? Um, but no, I mean, look, when you buy out all the contracts that, <laughs> that they yeah. have, you end up with not too many tough ones. But you're looking at 17 million of dead cap hit right now for the Rangers. Nice, um, you know. So that's uh, you know, that means that there's certainly some bad contracts that they had that they've now uh, had to move. Did um while we're talking about Rangers contracts here, have you ever seen a situation like the New York Rangers are currently in where they have too many good young players and now they have to worry about all this cap space that other teams just don't have to plan for these bonuses like the Rangers now do? Yeah, the bonus cushion. Uh, Chicago had it for part of uh, last year, but it's pretty rare because, yeah, it, it, especially since it's 7.5% of the salary cap, and but the but those bonuses like they haven't really changed the same over the years. So as the salary cap's gone up, that bonus cushion amount uh, is is grown uh, more than the actual bonuses. So it's it's pretty rare the last few years. Yeah, the only one is Chicago um, that I can think of in in recent years. And again, that bonus cushion. though, the weird thing about it is like it's not an actual. It's hard to articulate it, but like during the year that it's a it's a cap charge like you can't use that salary cap space but at the end of the year that cushion excess comes off the salary cap and it's not part of the final team cap hit the final team cap hit involves the actual bonuses that were earned not the these potential bonuses uh, so if you're looking at like what's the carryover overage going to be for next year 
that that cushion um, excess doesn't matter at all. It's all related to the bonuses that were actually earned. So I think it's, you know, unless they spend, um, you know, unless they keep spending and, or, and all these young players get all these bonuses, which is going to be pretty hard. Um, you know, I don't think they're necessarily going to have a, a carryover from it, but it certainly makes things challenging this year for sure. Is there a, a prediction for your site where in three years from now, you think the cap will go up or down? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I, it's easy. I could write a one line. It's going to be 81 and a half for the next there you go. Uh, several years. And then it's going to go up to maybe 82 and a half for a couple of years. Like in the next five or six years, the, the cap isn't going more than 82 and a half, maybe slightly more. What was the but projection before at, it was like 86 something? Yeah, well, that was before a global pandemic. Before right? pandemic, so, yeah, I'm just asking. You, you look at um, yeah the way that that the memo of understanding uh, talks about it. It's basically like if there's a huge amount that the players owe the owners, um, then they're going to keep with that with that kind of artificial salary cap until the money is repaid. And that was when we thought maybe there would be a somewhat normal season this year coming with fans. Um, you know, you've seen that talk now about the owners want more salary deferral and we can get into that more if you want. But basically all that all that is is just like the players are going to end up with 50% of the total revenue. And is it going to happen over the next couple of years or is it going to take five or six years to finally get to where across all time it's that, that 50-50 split? And with no fans in the stands for probably the whole year, most of the year, a shorter season um, and the players not taking like prorated salaries or anything, they're going to end up with this huge bucket of money that the players owe the owners and they got to work it off over the next few years. And so while that's the case, the salary cap's not going up. That's ridiculous. Sell the teams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It makes me so upset. All right. Um, so the salary cap will not go up in that case. So I, we're probably looking. That was very well explained. Thank you so much because it's something I'm, I'm quite confused about a lot of the time. The word I always hear is escrow. And that, I think that's kind of what you're explaining at this point is paying back over over in later years, right? Like they have to – that they're putting that money away for a couple of years so that owners can invest it. Or how does that work exactly in layman's terms for people who are dumb like me? Yeah, so there's actually two, two parts to it. So in the past, like forget, let's forget the pandemic and everything. Before Hard there was escrow, <laughs> before the, yeah, the the before times there there was escrow. And again, so the players are entitled to fifty percent, but when they sign their contracts, right, we don't know what the revenue is going to be. So we have an estimate of what the revenue is going to be from the league, and so that's how they come up with the salary cap. But then they put some money aside, which is escrow. And actually, sometimes it used to take a couple of years to kind of do all the accounting and figure out, okay, this is what the revenue for this year actually was. So the players were entitled to half of that. Okay, let's look at how much the players were actually paid. Okay, this is like this is how much they should have been paid. And we've got this, this amount of money in escrow, like on hold. And typically the players would get a little bit of that back to get to the 50-50. And the rest would go to the owner so that it, Again, so it would stay at the 50-50. So that's how things used to work. Now, like this escrow, this 20% escrow for this coming year, they're not getting that back because with the where the revenue is going to be um, compared to what the players' contracts are, there's no way that um, like that 20% can go back, can stick with the players or get refunded to the players and be at 50-50. So for for now, let's think of escrow as money the players aren't getting back. The other part to it, though, is is now for this year, there's a, a salary deferral, which is separate from the escrow. That's money that the players are basically going to loan to the owners. The way that it was written in the memo um, from last summer is that 10% of the players' contracts are going to are 
are going to not get paid. They're going to get deferred. The owners will keep it. And then the owners don't have to pay any interest on it. So it's a free loan that the owners or that the players are giving the owners. And then the owners are going to pay it back in three equal installments in years three, four, and five. So when you look at, um, if you look at a player uh, right now, he's going to get 10% taken off for this deferral, which he's going to get back later. And then, and then on the remainder, he's going to get 20% of that taken off. So if you have a a million dollar contract right now, you're set to get 720,000 of it. Uh, this year it, before you even pay taxes or agent fees you are going to get some of it back in in years three four and five and i think that's the part you know like the owners want more salary deferral but that's actually a good thing for the players especially if if players are thinking about how much cash they're going to get over the long term because the salary deferral like again this year is 20 percent escrow which which the players are never getting back so if you actually get to defer more of the money from this year into a future year with lower escrow, you'll actually get more cash at the end of the day. It's kind of like, you know, people with uh, businesses, they try to figure out when their income is going to be lower or sorry, when the income tax rates will be lower and, and make money then, right? So if a player has like enough money set aside and they're not so much, they're not as worried about how much cash they get right now, it's actually in their best interest to defer even more than this 10% that originally was agreed to and actually get it paid in years three, four, and five when the escrow is lower, they'll end up with more cash in their pocket. Got it. Okay, that's a little bit more uh, clear of an explanation. Now, are <laughs> they going to go back and are they re- going to – everything you just explained, are they going back to the negotiating table to talk about that more even though they agreed to it? Yes, because – well, two things. When they agreed to it, the owners and the players thought there'd be more revenue this coming year. They thought that there'd be – more games with fa- more games, more games with fans, etc. So that's kind of what's changed. Again, well, if the prob- players that was problem one, Hart. It's a pandemic. Yeah. Like we knew the yeah. we knew the vaccine was coming, but we thought fans were going to be in games this year. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, I think there was wishful thinking, and really they wanted to get it done so they could get to get the playoffs done um, before things got out of control again. Their their scientists were telling them there's going to be a big second wave. Let's get going. So they just tried to work it out quickly and let's, let's get the games going. But so, yeah, so that's kind of what's changed. But again, the owners, they're not asking for a prorated salary. So, you know, we're going to pay play 48, 60 games. They're not asking for the players to reduce their pay that they, they get for that. Um, which in like NBA, that, that is what they're doing. Um, and if, you know, like outside of hockey, these pe- people that have had to, go to part-time work they're getting paid for part-time they're not still getting full-time right so that i don't think it's i think that's actually pretty fair that the owners aren't asking the players to prorate it and so what the owners are asking for instead is okay we're gonna still pay you the same amount of money but like let us just uh not pay it all right now and let us pay it out in the future and again these players like it does work out better for them they'll get more cash in their pockets and so what i'm hearing from some agents is it's like the players with higher contracts that kind of get this and can afford to take less now, get more later that are actually on board or down with higher deferral. It's hmm. the lower paid players that like they got a mortgage and a, you know, a family and bills to pay and, you know, their entourage to look after and they can't afford to take less cash now. And so one of the solutions I've actually been chatting about with a couple agents um, that seems like maybe it is a possibility is, actually having a, like a, a, a threshold where if you make more than a certain amount, there'll be a more deferral. And those players are actually like that they're down with that. They're happy with that. And if it's, you make less than this amount, 
it's the deal that we agreed to in the summer and you'll just defer you know, as everything agreed to. I think that might actually be the best way to get enough players to sign off on a deal. Honestly, this has been the best explanation of what the hell is happening. Because I I signed up to just cover the team, the New York Rangers, have fun, <laughs> make a church, heard, and like kind of laugh. You heard there'd be no math, right? <laughs> yeah, I was told this was I, – I was supposed to watch dudes hit each other and shoot a puck, and I was super excited <laughs> about that. And now I'm talking about labor disputes. So, <laughs> here we are. But I think that really sums it up. Okay, that's really interesting that they could get – it might actually be better and – and they might actually come to a deal, but they haven't talked at all. And uh, you, do you, you don't think that we're starting January first, right? Like, there's no way at this point. No, I think they're talking. I, I think they're probably going to start in late January, early February. And I think they are talking. They're just like not talking super publicly. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so just I had done this actually calculation before. So if you had a five five million dollar salary, um, if the existing deal right now with the ten percent deferral, if that went up to a twenty five percent deferral. Over the five years, the player ends up with an extra hundred grand in their pocket. So hmm. again, players that kind of can afford to wait, it's it's better for them to defer more. And I think the agents now are trying to make sure that their players are educated on that and kind of understand that. And I think now there's more players getting over the fact that you know we had a deal, now you're trying to change it, which would piss anybody off. I get that, yeah. but I think enough of them are thinking through. Hey, actually, this might not be a bad thing. Maybe we can actually ask for some interest on this deferral. I think that there's certainly, I don't think it's like this big of an issue. Like we've had in other lockouts where it can't be overcome. I think it's more about educating and trying to understand um, that things, some of this might actually be in the best interest of, of both sides. What you're explaining guess, makes uh, sense though. Well, I'm try- well, hold on, Ryan. I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to think of this from a player's perspective on why they like, I understand if you have a long-term contract now in three years, you're basically just getting a double paycheck, which feels great. But I can see the players that would possibly be coming up in free agency that wouldn't want owners then having to pay more money that isn't even tied into the salary cap because it could impact like Mika Zibanejad, right? He's probably a guy that's getting paid in three years when he's due for a big race. But maybe he doesn't because all of a sudden James Dolan's like, you know what? I got to pay Artemi Panarin 25% of his salary that I didn't pay him three years ago, which means... Mika, I don't have money for you, but if you want to stay, here's the dollar price that I can get to. So I guess while it does put more money in some players' pockets, I can also see how this exact measure depresses the market a little bit when that new free agency class comes down in three years, and all of a sudden these owners have more bills than they would have in a normal environment, and now maybe they don't want to splash the cash in free agency. Yeah, that's actually a really smart um, and good point that you bring up because, yeah, this whole thing – like for, if you're in a big agency, right, over the course of the five years, six years this takes, you're going to get paid kind of the same. But within the players, you're right. It's really about allocating this money between uh, the different players. And so now one thing, though, like the salary cap is going to be where it is, like it's artificially set. So, um, you know, it's not like there'll be like less cap space in a couple of years because of this. But you're right, like owners may as they're paying out some of these contracts from this year in, in year three, yeah, they might not want to sign the the free agent to as big of a deal. The other thing too is player, you know, the player that's the player that's kind of definitely going to get the worst end of it is as a player like Lafreniere, because there's this big pool of money now that the players owe the owners. Right. And so that means that the salary cap is going to stay low. And even when this CBA is up in like six or seven years, there, there may even still be like a pot to deal with. Um, and so, and also 
any of this deferred money is going to count to the player's share in those years. So that means that in years three, four, and five, maybe the, the players are kind of digging their way out of the amount that they owe the owners. All of a sudden now, assuming the cap is still like 81 and a half or 82 million, you're going to have a, you know, still be spending the same kind of for the, for that year. But now you're adding in all this deferred money coming in and that's going to lead to that pot growing again. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's really about like players now getting some money at the expense of players down the road. And, and so you nailed that exactly right. That's part of the, the dynamic is like players with big money right now, they want to, whether they have to defer it or whatever. Yeah. They want to make a deal to get their money. It's the players that are going to get a big deal in the future where, you know, ideally for them, the best thing would be like, you know what, let's all prorate our salaries and everyone just gets like 50% of our contract value this one year, kind of end the pain. And then uh, it would be like clear going forward. Yeah. Like think, think of Ryan Strom, right? Ryan Strom in a normal life probably gets North of $5 million in his final year of restricted free agency this year, but he gets fucked because of the pandemic. And now some players are going to ask Ryan Strom essentially to get fucked again because they're deferring so much money later down the road that now owners who are already setting COVID salary caps within their own front offices of here's how much money you can spend. It's that deferral payment is still going to come calling. All it's going to mean is you're not going to be able to spend on free agent X, Y, or Z. And those players that are actually free agents, maybe they don't have as many opportunities as they wanted to before. And now they're settling for less money. So I can like, yes, deferring salaries for the, Artemi Panarin's who are locked up for six more years. Chris Kreider's who just signed a fresh seven-year deal. The Drew Dowdy's of the world who are signed for so long that it almost doesn't matter when, whenever the league comes back to normal. But these, these guys on shorter-term salaries that are hoping for big paydays coming up, forget about the salary cap not moving. We're talking about owners' budgets already being eaten up by money that they just don't want to pay right now. That's an excellent point. I guess my final question, Hart, uh, is what happens if – Theoretically, in a perfect world for the NHL, a company like Amazon or or ESPN gets into the bidding for their TV rights. Does is that going to change the perspective of how many years uh, they're going to be repaying back the the owners, or the, or that doesn't matter whatsoever, no matter how much a company pays for the TV television rights or the broadcast? No, rights, I rather. think. No, I think that this U.S. TV deal is like kind of everything. Like, you know, you hear some stuff. Oh, maybe they should be expanding the playoffs or putting putting uh, jersey patches on to generate more revenue. Sure, but like that's insignificant compared to the impact of the TV deal. Like, depending on where this TV deal comes in, it could solve all the issues. And you know, maybe we do get through this in, in a couple of years, and we're kind of back to that. 50 50 and and the cap can grow if the tv deal isn't um you know as big as you might hope or want to be able to do that then we're definitely kind of locked into this um this this pool of money that has to be made up for many many years and so if it means if if a tech company coming into it is what's going to drive the bidding up whether they get it or they just drive the price up yeah that's super helpful so that's why to me like the most important thing for this coming year is to get as big a TV ratings as possible. Yeah, fans in the stands and all that stuff would be great, but that's like kind of short-term money. The, it, everything they can do to make the TV product as good as possible this year and market the hell out of it and and get people watching it, um, that's going to, should drive a higher uh, next TV contract, which is the biggest dollar uh, impact on getting out of this mess. So, you know, I know that there's some, some people thinking, well, you know, maybe there won't even be these Olympics in July. So why, why don't we just wait and we'll play over the summer and into the fall again? 
Well, you know, originally I would have thought maybe that is a good idea, but when you see how bad the ratings were this last summer and fall, maybe some of that is just, you know, people are, are in a pandemic and they don't feel like watching hockey. Uh, election but too, maybe, man. It was both. Yeah, election. And maybe, but maybe some of it is people just aren't that into hockey in like August. Um, you know, that, that would be a concern or something to think about. It's like, I guess we wouldn't have the answer because there's only, you're only going to know what we do. You're not going to be able to know what the alternative would be, but yeah, I mean, I think it almost all comes down to what the sex TV contract, uh, how much it is and whatever they can do to get the bidding up. So getting those tech companies involved, but I think they need to make some innovations on some of the broadcasting stuff. Like, you know, like some of this tracking technology, how do you work that into the broadcast? And then the biggest X factor is gambling. Like, how do you get more gambling interest into hockey and do it fast? Because, you know, that's really what drives the NFL ratings is how much gambling, fantasy sports, all that stuff is riding on the NFL. Cause there's a lot of games like no one would be watching other than like the local fan base. If it wasn't for, for fantasy and gambling, how do you get that going for hockey? Because that's, what's going to have the biggest impact on, on the TV deals is getting people watching. Couldn't agree and more. I will say that's like one of the things that I, I do think has depressed hockey so much is it's just like the stats in order to make a fantasy hockey league. Like there just aren't enough of them that make any sense for it to be worth it. Like baseball, it's so simple. Basketball, so simple. Football, super simple. Hockey, it's like, all right, we have point, we have we have goals, we have assists, we have points, and then we have saves. Fuck. That's all we have. How else <laughs> do we do this? This yes. is miserable. Yeah, so maybe with some of this player tracking, you know, it could be like number of shots taken or like wrist shots taken or slap shots taken above eighty miles per hour or something, right? Or or, or or you actually get like a fractional point for every second of possession or, you know, like there's way more possibilities like, and you're completely right. Like how do we add more layers to it? And, you know, I think there's smarter people than uh, us here that could maybe take some of that data and figure out, you know, which ones kind of drive performance. Like, you know, I remember playing fantasy hockey back in the day and thinking like, why are there people getting points for like penalty minutes? How is that a good thing? Right. And you're right. Cause it's just like, lack of stats so if we can figure out what which of these uh tracking things are are kind of related to positive performance and then we can use that on like a fan duel or something yeah i think that would that would really help a lot um and and make it more interesting and then i think the other thing that is needed for gambling and interest is the injury information like to, to have when you have an nhl player hurt and it's like yeah he's got like a body injury and he's out for one to 20 weeks like that's cool. useless for, for gambling and betting. You know, NFL, obviously, like, they're not disclosing everything. Like, I think Tom Brady was probable for, like, six straight years in New England. But they, they get fined if they don't disclose a certain amount of information. And it, they kind of realize, like, we need to just share this so that we can kind of – we can help the gambling community. Um, and, like, you, you need that if you ever want to have legitimate betting. Like, that's why – uh, that's why like in the playoffs this year, they took some games off the boards on, in like some of the Vegas odds makers. Cause we didn't know who was injured, what was happening. Cause the reporters couldn't even go to the, the practices with, because of the COVID restrictions. So like, there was no idea about some of the stars playing. And so you can't gamble on it if you don't know that stuff. So getting the injury disclosures to like a somewhat reasonable level, I think is also pretty important to help with the popularity of the game. Hart, Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I know we went like 15 minutes over what I said, but really appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and uh, plug puckpd.com or anything else you do? Yeah, so please go to puckpedia.com. We talked about some of the items on there. Um, I think uh, this time of year is good to go on the My Puckpedia GM mode, and you can have your whole personal salary cap site and uh, not just make 
kind of one trade, but you can make as many trade signings, call-ups, buyouts, and see how it impacts all the teams or just one team, whatever you want. And then uh, make sure you follow on Twitter at Puckpedia. Um, you know, it's a little hard to find some news right now, but I promise if there is news, uh, be the first to tweet it out and tell you all the salary cap impact. And I've been doing some tweets on some of the salary deferral stuff um, and answering some uh, Ask the Capologist questions. So I really appreciate the time and uh, all the support. I, would, I, I will say I just, credit where credit is due. Without you, I wouldn't have known about the Tony D'Angelo signing. You, oh, wow. you, you DM'd me that he signed his contract. I was not going on Twitter that day, but I had <laughs> notifications on uh, for my DM still. And I got a DM from you saying, oh, here, Tony signed. And I was like, oh, oh, shit, Tony signed. Yeah, sometimes with especially this year now, I've got, built up a pretty good network with uh, you know team personnel and agents and stuff. And yeah, I put some some contracts out first, which is exciting. But it just kind of depends on, I think, how the Twitter algorithm will spins. Like sometimes I think people don't see it, so I send you know I'm like, oh, I got this contract, I'm so excited, and then I'm like, there's like crickets, like no one's uh, no no one's looking at it. So that's when I start. DMing people being like, hey, hey, look at me. I've got this contract. So I have less followers you than you, but if anything happens to the Rangers, I just followed, so I will be retweeting. There you go. I'll, I okay, will signal awesome. you. I will signal you out. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, uh, you could, we're going to end the show now, too. So you can follow me on Twitter at Orion Mead. You can follow Greg at Bullshit Break. We'll be back next week. Love you guys. Thank you so much, Hart. Bye.